BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. The following is a presentation of the Speed Sport Podcast Network, celebrating 90 years of motorsports coverage. Mike Wallace doesn't have all that much driving experience. For the last three or four years, he's put in his views in this business. Mike Wallace comes down to the line. He'll pick up the win. It's fast car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. The battle's for the lead. Mike Wallace gets by Jason Leffler. Mike Wallace comes off turn number four. A great move in that corner. He comes to the line and will win. From grassroots to the top of the racing world, hear the stories of NASCAR's biggest names and how they made it all the way. Who was Tony Stewart before he was Tony Stewart? I could barely make enough money to pay attention, let alone to try to survive. From the Speed Sport Podcast Studios, powered by My Race Pass, here are your hosts, Mike Wallace and Jeff Kent. Welcome to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace, part of the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass. My name is Jeff Kent. Strap yourselves in, pull those belts tight. We'll take you on a journey from short tracks across America to super speedways and everything in between. We're brought to you today by Mark Thick and Ford Lincoln on South Boulevard. The team at Mark Thick and Ford Lincoln works hard every day to be a community partner in supporting their customers, local businesses, as well as being involved in local charities and programs. Visit FordLincolnCharlotte.com today for your next vehicle selection, service appointment, or collision need. Today's guest, Mike, a name synonymous with big-time motorsports for the past several decades, formerly an auto racing crew chief for Bill Davis Racing and Hendrick Motorsports. From 2001 to 2010, he was a team owner, bringing Dodge back into prominence in NASCAR's Elite Racing Series. As a crew chief for Hendrick Motorsports, he and Jeff Gordon dominated the competition. They won 47 cup races and three championships as the head of the Rainbow Warriors. He is considered one of the innovators in improving the duration and efficiency of pit stops. Voted into the NASCAR Hall of Fame's class of 2018, most recently co-founded the SRX Racing Series with Tony Stewart, and he's currently a consultant at Hendrick Motorsports. Welcome to the podcast, Ray Evernham. Ray, say hi to Mike Wallace. Hey, Mike, and uh, thank you for that that introduction. You know, it, uh, it always makes me feel like the uh, I've got the imposter syndrome when I hear people talking like that. Well, appar- <laughs> apparently you've accomplished a thing or two, Ray. Congratulations. <laughs> I w- well, thank you. I would say that's an incredible uh, intro there. And, Ray, you deserve every bit of it. It's just amazing. Uh, you know, all the things when you talk racing in the last X number of years, it's got the Ray Abraham name tied to it. <clears throat> but the one thing that our show does, Ray, that's a lot different than others is our fans like to go way back in time, way before Ray Everham was Ray Everham that we know today. And we like hearing it from you directly. So how did you even get involved in motorsports, and how far back does it go, and where was it? Uh, and I'm going to ask you to tell us in, in your words, where, where, where did it all get started at? Oh, wow. I, I, you know, I wish we'd have pushed this back to March because my, the, the, my, my book comes out in – in March and tells the tells that whole story, Mike. Well, you know, he, it, 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 I have a lot a lot of people ask me um, that that same question, you know. Um, but yeah, we do have a book coming out, and uh, it'll be out in uh, first week of March. It's called Trophies and Scars, and it really it tells that story, you know, because people think that just you know we 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 we've been successful and and had some uh, 
certainly had some success along the way, but you know, with with trophies sometimes comes from scars from the things that you didn't uh, didn't um, you know do well. But my honestly, my racing uh, bug, I have no idea. Like I can't remember ever in my life wanting to do anything else from the time I was. My earliest memories are riding around in a little plastic go kart at four or five years old, and then I, I was fortunate enough. I had an uncle who used to take me to the modified races, you know, the local modified races at Old Bridge and Wall Stadium and Flemington and East Windsor. Used to be a, you know, every every state had just short tracks all over the place, you know, and then and, uh, and man, we used to go, and I just uh, I just fell in love with uh, with those modifieds, and and uh, you know that was my world up until the time uh, until the time I went to work for IROC. So, so that's a big gap there. What, what do you think the appeal was? I mean, from a young boy, uh, we've had other guests on the show that kind of had been bit the same way you were. They were young. They got taken to the racetrack, and they loved it ever since. Was it the noise, the excitement? You just got to see it? You got any idea what, what the captivation of it was? Uh, you know, I, I wish I could pin that down, but there was just something about that excitement. I've always loved the mechanical things. I'm still in love with the old coupes and sedans and the open wheel cars that they they used to race. But, you know, you figure as a kid, right, you know, you see these performers, right? Some people love football, baseball, and they go to the games. And, you know, my, like my dad used to be a big Yankees fan. He took me to a Yankee game, and I got to see some great players play, but I never really got that passion for the baseball stuff but now at a local short track you know you know seeing those guys go around in those you know those coupes and sedans and a lot of midget racers and stuff up there and and you know it just was something about it and then you know at that time up and down the, the coast of, of of jersey there you know heck at almost every gas station had a you know saturday night modified sitting in there and and you could go in and and talk to the people but there, there was just something about those cars going around the racetrack and those guys fighting, you know, they were, that was what I found exciting. You know, they were the, they were the heroes to me. And some of those guys that I watched, you know, thank God, you know, they're, they're, they're still around, still alive. And they're as big a hero to me as, as any of the other racers I've ever worked with. So, so saying that I was kind of, it was kind of unique. You led into that. I was going to ask the question. Did you, did you have one or two heroes in that era before you went to the IROC series uh, as a modified racer? Who, who was the guy that you went, wow, that's my guy. Oh, yeah. You know what? I never got locked onto one guy, you know, kind of always appreciated many of them. And, and you know, just, you, you know, when I was when I first started going to the dirt tracks with my uncle, there were guys like uh, Al Tadnady and Stan Pulaski and Frankie Schneider. You know, they were the big names. And then later on, you know, moving up when I went into some of the pavement racing, of course, it was it was Jeff Bodine and, you know, uh, guys like Merv Treckler and Ron Bouchard. And, you know, there was a guy, a local guy, at, you know, at Wall Stadium, our, our, our big winner, a guy at Wall Stadium, good friends with Bobby Allison, the Allison, you know, the Gil Hearn, you know, he, he was, you know, really, you know, these guys made huge differences. Uh, in my life as going up as a kid and now growing up through it, you know, probably one of the best racers to ever come out of New Jersey. So, you know, we kind of grew up together as kids and, and, uh, and, and, you know, Billy pouch and, you know, Billy, Billy had the talent for the car, you know, for the drive the car, I had the talent to build them. We always kid around about that, you know, but you know, you, you look at just that connection. I'm still proud of, of, of my New Jersey roots, especially. And, and then the, the, you know, again, the Northeast modified, racing when you look back at the history at, at places like Stafford Springs from you know Connecticut Thompson Connecticut all the way down to Martinsville Virginia you know some legendary some legendary modified racers you know guys from the north against guys from the south you know guys like you know Ray Hendrick and Satch Worley and Perk Brown and those guys racing against the you know the the top guns you know top guys from the north you know the the, the Flemkies and, and the Bodines and you know it, so it, it just uh there's just something about those cars and, and, and those people in that time, you know, um, that, that's just still my thing. I, I think I spend way too much time on Facebook and places like that. Just looking at pictures of modifies from the sixties and seventies as I do work in some days. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, you still have a lot of passion for that, right? I, I see some postings you put out and, and people tell me that you're working on some old modifieds or uh, restoring things. You've got a company, I believe that restores cars and that now, but that's, that that era of racing is still passionate to you, isn't it? It really is. Uh, you know, I, I think much like any people, you know, some some people are really into muscle cars because that's what they grew up with, or you know, Volkswagens or or whatever it is. It's just 
that part of my life set in motion who I am today. And, and the things that I learned from all those people, you know, kept taking the next step, next step. And Mike, I don't have to tell you, you've been through it. You know, like you, you, you look back at your career and think about everybody that helped you when you had no idea that you were trying to do it. And then you look back and think, wow, that, you know, this person did this for me, or this person taught me that. And, and, you know, it, it's nice to look back and appreciate those people and let them know that they didn't waste their time, you know, with the time spent, you know, anybody that ever spent any time or, or, or any money, you know, those of us who were able to get to cop or, or, or reach that highest level, you know, everybody in your family has, has done that. You know, it's like you still look back at, at those those times when we didn't know how much we didn't know. Those things were fun, man. Yeah, without a doubt. And, and stepping forward, then we're going to step back in a second. We had Rodney Childress on the show last week, and he uh, he complimented you so immensely. I, I didn't even really realize he'd worked for you. And he brought up your modified days, but working with you of how much you meant to his career. And uh, he, he he amplified that I don't think Ray will ever know how much he meant to me and made helped me make a career. So, uh, you know, all that through the modified ranks, through the uh, NASCAR world, you're, you're still making an impact. Those guys that made an impact on you, you're carrying it on to people today. So great job. Well, I think that's the best way to honor somebody, you know, is pay it forward. Because, I mean, there's so many people, so many people that, that – helped me one way or another, you know, and, you know, guys like Rodney, um, guys like Chad Knauss and Steve Latart and, you know, th those guys to see those guys, to know that somehow, some way I helped them or gave them a, a path. What's really neat, you know, is the fact when you watch those guys, you, 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 you know, you, you hand them a little information or you try and help them and they take that and make it better and go further. You know, to me, there's no bigger compliment um, that they could, they could, pay than, than to be successful. And as I said, I feel like people who helped me know they didn't waste their time. And, and you know, there were hundreds of guys that worked for me that had the same opportunity that Chad did or Steve did or, you know, that, that Rodney did, and he didn't take it. And those guys took it and they became champions. And that makes me really proud. Yeah, well, you should be proud because they're, they're proud of what they learned from you. But back, backing up to the modified days, and you, you had that you were the fan base. You had drivers that you loved. Did you ever personally work on those cars before you ended up in the IROC world, or did you own a car that somebody drove? I, I know you got a book coming out. We can only leave, now. I realize we can only say so much because we want people to oh, buy we, that we can, book. We can and talk, talk. Yeah, <laughs> well, you want to promote the book? Yeah, yeah promote right? some high points oh, yeah. in the book. You know, so but. Yeah. Um, how did that work in that time? Did you, like I say, did you work on cars? Did you own my, and primarily modifieds? What, what did you do in that world other than watch them? Well, I built and, and drove my own car. So um, one, uh, you know, got some, I think uh, eight or nine modified feature victories at wall stadium. Uh, one at Flemington drove midgets. So one there, but you know, but uh, my, my career, I started my career. I wanted to be an Indy car driver. That was my goal. And oh, really? uh, okay. that's, that's, that's why I drove the open wheel car. So I ran NASCAR modified. So I ran with some of the greats, you know, I raced with Richie Evans and Jeff Bodine and, you know, the, the Bouchards, um, you know, ran, uh, you know, I, I, I was, um, you know, I've been champion at wall stadium in, in, uh, in a late model division or modern stocks as they called it back then, you know, uh, but I've run, you know, lots of places, Pocono, Trenton. I started driving modifieds when I was 20 years old and, uh, I raced modifieds full time up until 1983 uh, up and down the country, you know, Thompson, Connecticut, um, you know, Westboro, Massachusetts, as I said, all the way down to Martinsville, we had an incredible fire, uh, in Martinsville in 1982, another New Jersey driver. And I, that's, you know, a good bit in the book, but, you know, love the modifieds and, and wall stadium was my home track, but we did travel, um, drove, uh, built my own cars for a while and then switched over to Troyer chassis and then, uh, switched over to a Richie Evans, uh, chassis, Billy Nasowitz built some, uh, cars after Richie unfortunately lost his life at Martinsville and I still have that car today I have uh, I have the two modifieds here that I won my last two pavement races with um, you know I was primarily pavement and then believe it or not after I retired from crew chiefing and sold my race team I went back to running dirt but I uh, started because I uh, but I've got my last two pavement uh, my last two pavement winners here so did a lot of uh, modified racing a lot of car building um, and then uh, took the job at IROC and became a test driver there, actually, Mike. Really? That, that's you, you were a test driver for IROC? I didn't know that. I sure was. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah, I did. Uh, my job was to set the cars up and, uh, 
you know, I was the crew chief for team manager there, but my job was when we unloaded the cars, I shook everything down mechanically. And when the cars were prepared mechanically, I would turn them over to Dave Marcus and George Fulmer at that time. That's and then, right. of course, Jim Slaughter came on board. But, uh, yes, Ben, then I got, I got tons and tons of miles around certain speedways with the IROC cars as well. That's a pretty cool gig, uh-huh. right? How would you like that? Well, you know, Jeff, as we always say on this show, you think you know where people come from and what they did. And right. I realized I knew, I knew nothing about Ray Everham at that time. Right. You know, that you were the test driver for the IROC series. Or the initial... Ray Everham, champion driver. Yes. I mean, we're thinking about him as a crew chief all the time. <laughs> yeah, and he's got right. all this driving experience. That's why he's so good. Yeah. He, he understands well, both sides of it. Well, we, um, you know, we, we, we got a lot. I learned a lot from a lot of those guys. And I got to work with the best drivers in the world and they taught me a lot so i would go back and run the modifieds a half a dozen times a year and we would always win or, or do something people would be like damn you know when are you gonna come back full time and uh and then uh so in 1990 i, I left iraq and started my own shop and i was going to go back and racing full time uh i had uh you know what we call the dirt asphalt car so th- this the dirt series was going to run dirt cars on pavement and pay us like ten thousand dollars to win these hundred mile races, uh, at, you know, at tracks around the country. So we built one of those. I had my wall stadium kind of NASCAR modified. I had a ARCA car that I had built for actually a cup car I built for Dick Johnson. We were going to run ARCA car. And I also had a, 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 a you know, a, what they call a TQ midget ride for, so I, I was set to go in 91 right off the bat. We opening night, we win wall stadium opening night. We, you know, at Flemington, we run second two weeks later. I get hurt uh, and basically end my driving career. Oh my gosh, we got to take a break. Yeah. I hold that thought, Ray. That's a good I, spot for a timeout. <laughs> you're absolutely correct. Yeah, Mike Wallace. We're talking to Ray Abernham. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media. Hi, it's Mike Wallace. You need to get behind the wheel of a vehicle that's built tough with Mark Ficken Ford Lincoln. Right now, you can get $500 off any new or used vehicle that we have in stock. That's right, $500 off any vehicle that is currently in stock. To take advantage of this deal, simply visit FordLincolnCharlotte.com slash Wallace. Don't miss out on this opportunity to save big on our entire inventory. Get $500 off of new and used cars, trucks, and SUVs at Mark Ficken Ford Lincoln on South Boulevard now. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome back to the Speed Sport Podcast Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Mark Fick and Ford Lincoln on South Boulevard. The team at Mark Fick and Ford Lincoln works hard every day to be a community partner in supporting their customers, local businesses, as well as being involved in local charities and programs. Visit FordLincolnCharlotte.com today for your next vehicle selection, service appointments, or collision need. We're talking to Ray Everham once again. Here's Mike Wallace. Well, I was just saying during the break that I'm odd. I didn't realize that Ray Everham was as much of a race car driver as what he was. I've always right. thinking he's the crew chief. He's the knowledge guy, but he had a hell of a career Started going. Started out as a driver. Yeah. So, Ray, tell us about the uh, the third race of the year You're in 1990 or 91 there. You're, you'd won first couple, and then you got hurt. What happened there? Yeah, well, I'm not sure if it was the third race. It was probably well, the fourth or fifth race. You know, we yeah. ran okay, but um, – we were at Flemington, uh, Flemington, New Jersey, and that place was wicked fast. You know, we were um, five-eighths mile paved. You just run that thing just about you know, wide open. Do you know I drove and, Fle- Flemington one time? I raced a truck at Flemington. Is that right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, you know what I'm talking about then. Really odd place, but you could fly around there. Yeah. And um, we ran uh, we ran these, you know, dirt-style modifieds with big motors and all that stuff on them on the pavement and uh, got tangled up and got uh, before the softballs and all that stuff, got uh, – Got wrecked really bad one night and got a, a you know a, a fairly serious head injury at that time and it kept me out of the car uh, severe concussion I was unconscious for about four days um, and then uh, I tried worked really hard to get back worked really hard to get back to uh, 
to, to be able to drive. Um, and then finally, uh, got approval to drive. Uh, felt good. Won the first night back. Won the first night at Flemington. Back, got into it. Had a great race with uh, legendary Jimmy Horton. We were side by side for several laps. But I knew something wasn't right. And when you have a head injury, it, it uh, you know, some days you have good days, some days you have bad days. So for the rest of the year, we tried to run, but I was just terribly inconsistent. You know, some nights I'd win or run second, and then some nights I would wreck for no reason. Um, and, but I, and I knew that I just was not, was not right. So I had an opportunity at the end of 91 to, uh, to, to stop my driving career and, and move south to, um, to work for Alan Kowicki. And, you know, probably what I, what I skipped here in 1990, while I was preparing for my driving career, I was doing some part-time work. And I don't want to skip this part because one of the outside contract jobs that I took was to help this kid, Jeff Gordon, who was going to run three or four races. <laughs> so I did that because I needed the money and I met, met this kid. But, uh, so, but I went back to New Jersey and he went on to, uh, to go to Bush Grand National and we stayed buddies. But I went down, got a job working for Alan Kowicki and Alan and I, um, Alan was probably one of the smartest guys I've ever met in my life, but he and I just didn't get along. Uh, and uh, it didn't end well. We had a kind of a screaming match at Daytona, and whether I quit or he fired me, we just don't know. But uh, that was just, a, a legendary screaming out. match, right? Right. Oh, it was legendary. Yeah, <laughs> it was. It was actually more than a screaming match. We were kind of we kind of each had each other by the collar. And uh, AJ Floyd was standing on top of his holler, and he still kids me about it today. He, about me and Alan dancing in the parking lot there, but uh, <laughs> you know, it's uh, you know I, I feel you know before I move on. I, I've got to say that, uh, thank God, um, just a week before Alan passed away, he and I got to talk about that and shook hands and, and, and no hard feelings. And, uh, you know, again, because I had so much respect for him and what he did, but we just couldn't get along. Our personalities were not the same. But uh, so, believe it or not, telling you the truth, we had screaming match, fire quit, walking out of the, out of the, Garage area Daytona, bump into Preston Miller, Lee Morse from Ford. They said, Where are you going? I said, I'm going home. They said, The hotel? I said, No, New Jersey. I don't have a job, got fired. And uh, and he uh, and they said, Okay, wait a minute, you know, let, let's let's you know come on back and, and talk to us about some things. And sure enough, um, John Bickford, who is Jeff Gordon's stepdad, was really telling the Ford people that Jeff just needed a good chassis guy and he and I got along and whatnot. And, Long story short, Ford put me over with Bill Davis racing to uh, to help Jeff Gordon and help Bill Davis. And Jeff and I just kind of got back together and clicked immediately. You know, Jeff Jeff and I have always had some incredible, uncanny ability to communicate. You know, like it's – and the, any, every time I work with Jeff, you know, I, I always tell people, like, look, it's like thinking you're a golfer and you go play with a young Tiger Woods. Every time I, every time I ever work with Jeff, I realize I was not a great race driver, right? So – and – and when I started working on his cars and, and as good as he was, I thought to myself, well, you know, if, if I can build a car that fast, I must suck as a driver because this kid is, this kid <laughs> wins and, and everything we put him in, you know? And, uh, and, and then we just, we just kind of took off. And that's when uh, Rick Hendrick, Rick Hendrick saw Jeff. Uh, I think, you know, the, at, at, I'll tell you, Mike, at that time, you know, I was kind of stuck down here, couldn't afford to go and do anything else. Had a house I was trying to pay for in New Jersey, living in a one-room apartment in Concord. I used to ride back and forth to the track with your brother's team because I couldn't get there on my own. Uh, <laughs> so, Kenny, Kenny will tell you that story. I, you know, like they pick me up and I ride with him and Slugger. Yeah. I, so here's a question for you that we ask about everybody. <laughs> And, and because we haven't, you went from New Jersey and you came to Concord. Basically, you came for with Quickie and then you stayed. What type of car did you drive, or truck did you drive from New Jersey to Concord? With all of your belongings. Yeah, in we've it. asked every every guest of ours <laughs> this question. Do you, all right, well, this will tell you about the, this. will tell you the shape that I was in. Okay, because you when you leave when you leave with all of your basic belongings and you're driving a mini Nissan pickup. Yeah, and it's you know you don't have much to do, but that that thing, the, I I got that because it would just it was great on gas mileage. But let me tell you, you talk about a tough vehicle to drive ten hours back and forth to New Jersey when I had to do it and, and whatnot. You know, I just remember the I remember the 
the wind and the rain coming through the doors on that thing and it being freezing cold and all that stuff, you know, so, you know, thinking back to that stuff certainly makes me appreciate what I do today. That's a good one. Uh, yeah. That ranks right yeah. up there with Todd Bodine, who said he drove down here in a Chevette with all of his belongings. <laughs> <laughs> those those simple little things are so appealing to everybody. You know, it, yeah. it was a real life deal. So get back to Kenny. Our, <laughs> I guess Herm's team. You said you rode back and forth to the racetrack with him, just for yeah. Well, I lived in Concord, and Bill Davis's team was in Thomasville, so it was crazy for me to ride all the way to Thomasville. So I forget you know, how we'd met, but Kenny's like, well, just ride with my guys or whatever. You know, we, I guess at the track, he's like, well, you're in Concord, just call up Slugger. And, you know, so I just, I rode with Kenny's team to the racetrack. And the only time that it kind of, you know, like if they drop out, they'd get mad because they had to wait for me or vice versa, you know, <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, it was like, it, it, you know, you hear those stories that happen with plant, uh, you know, with a plane now, but just, I think it was a plain white van. We were, we were driving, but we, we had a good time. And, uh, you know, they back then everybody looked out for everybody, and as I said, I, I I rode with them back and forth to the racetrack the whole time I was at Bill Davis's. The famous Ray Abraham rode in the truck of another bumming team. a ride, bumming a ride with your brother's race team. That, that's, but see, that's the thing about racing, especially old school, man. It was like a fraternity, right? I mean, yeah. yeah, we'll get you there. We'll give you a ride. I I remember so. When when did you was it ninety one or did you in ninety maybe work with Jeff Gordon over Bill Davis? I the story there I got to tell you this because I it's fun to tie stories and I win the Winston Racing Series Championship in nineteen ninety in in the Mid America Division and I get an opportunity to drive for Ted Condor Highline Racing and I go to Lanier Speedway my very first race and the way the race finished was David Green won. Some kid named Jeff Gordon was second, and I was third. There you go. And somewhere my career and Jeff Gordon's career didn't follow the same trajectory, <laughs> you know, path. So, now don't sell yourself short, Mike. Yeah, Come on. No, I just, but I just. Well, and Mikey, you probably, but you did. You actually see, Jeff Gordon never got to drive for me. You actually did. Well, I did drive for. Did you know that? <laughs> you did. did you drive for Everham Motorsports? I did. I drove for. Well, I did not know that. Yeah, I finished. Matter of fact, he he was nice enough to give me an opportunity to drive for him. I drove his. I don't know if we were in a Bush Series. Experience. Yeah, the Bush car. Yeah, we yeah. and we we were we got in position to win the race. We we finished second at St. Louis at the first annual Wallace Family Tribute 250. I was driving for Ray Everham, okay. and we'd run some other races up to that. Oh yeah, that was. Man, I tell you what, a highlight of somebody's career. Now, was that at the Tri City Speedway? Or oh no, that was at the Gateway where oh, they no run kidding. the Cup cars. Now. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. But think about me getting a call from Ray Everham, and Ray's done established. He is the man right. down here. Everybody, you know, anything that Ray touches is like gold. Do you he, think somebody was playing a joke on you? Hey, you just. <laughs> You just got to make sure. Then it's like come to the shop, and you go to the shop, and everybody goes, "Oh yeah, Ray said you're on your way." And it's like, ah, <laughs> <laughs> totally excited. There you go. Yeah, uh, brush with. Well, I think no. In nineteen uh, ninety, the the races I did with Jeff, we actually the first time we met. So nineteen ninety, Andy Petrie calls me up and he said, "Hey, what are you doing?" I said, "I'm getting my stuff ready for next year." He said, "I need you to help this kid, um, Leo Jackson's brother or son-in-law, you Connor. He's going to run this kid in a." in some bush races and i said who is it he said jeff gordon i said oh man i've just seen that crazy son of a gun on the thursday night thunder running them midget sprints he's good and so i went down and met with him uh we met and then we went and tested at charlotte and uh we had we had one we had borrowed we used to call it borrow it all racing because we were doing it with phil barkdahl and we borrowed everything Bar we had one car that was a, a buck that was a buck baker school car it was a pontiac it had a v6 chevy in it not even a pontiac motor at that time and uh, we went and uh, ran the, the, the uh, test, and they approved Jeff to go and run. And then qualifying got rained out for the, uh, for the Charlotte May race. I mean, it was it was October race, sorry. It was the October race. And uh, we had to run that hooligan race, and I think he got wrecked on the first or second lap. And then so we, had to, we went down back down the, to uh, Arden, down to Barkdahl's shop, and worked for two or three days straight, put a rear clip on the thing, and did the body, and we took it to Rockingham. And uh, we, I remember uh, Leo Jackson and those guys were like, how are you? I said, I think we're pretty good, you know. And they said, how good? Like, you're going to make the race. And I said, no, nah, I'm telling you, I think, I think we're going to make top five. We got a good shot. And they're like, oh, come on. Well, we went out. Nobody knew who we were with this, with this 
by that time, I think uh, Fryer had put a, a put a Pontiac motor in, so we had a little bit more power. But it was still a still a Pontiac, and we had we we had uh, that one car, and we borrowed tires, jack. We borrowed everything from from people. That's what I said. They bar instead of barked all, it was borrowed all racing, <laughs> and we we, uh, we qualified we qualified outside pole, and people were like, "Who in the hell are these guys?" And, you know, not knowing anything, like me being a modified guy and him being a sprint car guy, we're running around there and practicing. He's like, this moment won't turn. It won't turn. It won't turn. So I said, too tight. And I remember saying, Jesse, Leo, I got to free this thing up. You know, we're, uh, we're way too tight. He said, well, I don't know, boys. You know, this place, you know, they get pretty loose. You know, you want to want a beast. And I said, no, Leo, it's, it's too tight. We're going to free it up. So I freed up and, and, uh, 30 laps into the race, he spins out and wrecks. <laughs> so, and Leo, me, me and Jeff, me and Jeff are sitting on the back of the truck with our head in our hands and car sitting up there with a the rear clip knock off it again. Right. <laughs> and Leo walks up, he looks at us, he goes, well, next time you boys come here, I don't, you won't be worried about whether you're pushing. You're worried about you if you're pushing enough. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, every time Jeff and I went back to Rockingham after that, I'd always say to him, are we pushing enough? <laughs> uh, that's amazing. So through that, that was the first race you run with Jeff Gordon or the close to first. So I, Yeah, you know, there, and then we, we never finished one. We went to Martinsville um, and uh, and ran, blew up in the heat race. Remember, they used to run the heat races. And then I went home. I went back to New Jersey. So Jeff and I had only made three attempts together. Okay. But we got to be really good friends. And I knew, I was like, man, I love this kid, but I'm going to go drive. I'm going to be a driver. And that's, so in 91, he went to Bill Davis's to run the Bush car. And I, I went, I was back in New Jersey to, to work on my driving career. And that's when I got hurt and had to move to North Carolina in 92. So um, Jeff and I reunited I think it was, I think it was uh, Hickory. Was Hickory used to be the second race? What was right yes, after sir. Daytona? It was Hickory, yeah. right? Yeah. Yep. Hickory was the next race uh, that we did together. And, you know, we, we stayed, uh, I think we ran, uh, I, I can't remember, uh, 11, uh, 11 or so, uh, 11 or so Bush races because then Rick hired him halfway through 92 and I went there. But either way, I think we ran 11 or 12 Bush races and sat on eight poles and won three of them. Yeah, great, great success, great success, unbelievable success. So, you, how am I trying to say this? When it took, when you went back to New Jersey, that you were going to go back for your driving career again. What and how did you make the decision to go? You know what? I'm just not going to drive anymore. I mean, I, I just heard you say you, you know, you came down, and you helped at. Uh, you helped Jeff at Rockingham. You did a couple races, and then you went back home. But quitting driving a race car is, is like a mentally hard thing, or at least it is for me. Uh, how, how, what made you go, okay, I just can't get it done, and I'm just going to go get me a job? What, what made that happen? Well, I think my standard and what, my, what I expect of myself is pretty high. And I've always promised myself that I didn't want to be the weak link, you know, as much as I love driving. And now what's cool is, is I go and drive road race cars for fun. And I've got that, we've got that figured out to have some fun. But, you know, back then I knew, you know, I, I knew that I wasn't right. And I knew, you know, when, when you, when you hear about all these concussions that people have, and, and it was starting to be talked about then. And you got to remember, we, we lost a lot of my friends in the modified cars, I think we lost six guys in 22 months there, you know, from head injuries and, and um, basal skull. And, and there was a lot going on and I kept wrecking the car and I was hurt all the time. You know, Mike, I was like, I mean, I, between broken ribs, broken sternum, I was just hurt all the time from these damn modified wrecks. And finally I just, I got frustrated with myself and, and I just said, look, I, I, I've got to do something, you know, Ray J was born. So I had a, I had a son right? Had no income, you know, I had bills and, um, it was just one of them decisions. Like, look, you know, at some point you got to admit to yourself, you're not going to be what you think you are. And it was hard, but it was, you know, it, it, it was either that or, or turn into one of those guys that, that just has continuous debt and doesn't do the right thing for the, for the family. And uh, I had an opportunity to try and make a new life for myself, even though, again, it wasn't, what I had dreamt of as a kid, it, it just, you know, that decision 
to go and do it again and hope and, and thought to myself, well, geez, you know, I, and I guess I didn't even really think about, well, maybe someday I'll get healed up or I'll do, I'll do whatever. But it, it just, honestly, it came down to what I was facing was I had no future being driving a race car, even though it's what I wanted. I just didn't have a future doing it. Good spot for a timeout right here, Ray and Mike. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media. Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace is teaming up with Mark Ficken Ford Lincoln on South Boulevard to save you money on your vehicle purchase. Right now, you can get $500 off any new or used vehicle in stock. Hey, Mike, there's a landing page online with all the info you need to take advantage of this offer. FordLincolnCharlotte.com slash Wallace. You can view inventory and more. You can even listen to any of the 80-plus episodes of Fast Car to NASCAR while there. Welcome back to the Speedsport Podcast Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Mark Fick and Ford Lincoln on South Boulevard. The team at Mark Fick and Ford Lincoln works hard every day to be a community partner in supporting their customers, local businesses, as well as being involved in local charities and programs. Visit FordLincolnCharlotte.com today for your next vehicle selection, service appointments, or collision need. We're talking to Ray Evernham once again, Mike Wallace. Ray, I admire you for where uh, stepping up to yourself and saying, hey, I'm not as good as I want to be, and I need to go do something else. Wow, that's hard to do, first of all. Then you take and you do something else, and you do it really, really good. pretty damn good at it, yeah. Yeah, really damn good at it. You know, we'll, we'll jump over the Bush days with Jeff Gordon, and we're ending up at Hendrick Motorsports. And... I, when you when you got a hired from Hendrick, how did that happen? How did you? Uh, I, I always say, was it a joke? Was it you know? Everybody says when they get a call from a famous owner or driver, it's like a joke call. Your yeah, buddy put them up to it. Yeah. How did uh, the connection with Rick Hendrick come about? Well, you know, the, something I I, I want to make sure you don't skip over that prepared me for all of this stuff. Like you're getting prepared for opportunity, you don't even realize it, right? But you got to remember, from 1983 to 19 or past 1989, about the quarter of the way into 1989, I worked for IROC and I worked under Roger Penske, Les Richter, and a man named Jay Signori. Who Jay Signori has probably got one of the biggest footprints in the mechanical uh, world of racing. You know, his trainees have won Cup championships, Cup races, IndyCar championships, road racing. Jay Signori. The school or college of IROC, as we call it, Jay taught so many of us systems and prepared us. And then, you know, being around and just watching a guy like Roger Penske has had a huge, huge effect on me. So when I came down south armed with these things that I didn't even know I had, I just assumed that everybody was like that. And, you know, Jay is a master uh, at, at at detail and car preparation and man hours. And, and obviously with Roger, his stuff is, it's neat, it's clean, it's perfect, it's organized. And when we came down here, I, I, you know, I had grown up in that area and didn't even, didn't even really realize it. So when I went over to Bill Davis's just briefly, we were changing that whole deal and, and I, I and, and didn't even realize it. And then when the, so the story goes, Rick Hendrick, you know, we came up with this crazy setup one time at an Atlanta test, and we go down there, and, and it wasn't really crazy by today's standards. I just put real stiff springs in the back of the car to keep the spoiler up in the air, right? But Jeff would be so loose for a couple laps, it actually smoked the right rear on that, on that bush car for a couple laps. You know, I remember the old the sealer and stuff they used to put down on Atlanta, mm-hmm. smoke a tire. And uh, so Rick saw him, you know, after a pit stop there, smoking the tire and leaving the thing. He's like, oh, who this, who's this kid? He's going to bust his butt. And so... You know, as Rick Hendricks watching him, you know, he, he realizes, hey, who's this kid? And he's thinking about starting another team and all this. And he, so he, he makes a deal, you know, to, he calls Jeff. But at that time, you know, Hendrick wasn't the dominant force that it was. Um, and, and everybody was like, man, that, you know, we're not sure that that's the place to go. Jeff says, look, send, he sends me over to Hendrick to see why they're not winning. And, I go over to Rick Hendrick to meet, you know, Jimmy Johnson, Jimmy Johnson, the manager, not Jimmy Johnson, the driver at that mm-hmm. time was there. And, you know, he takes me around and he shows me all this stuff that they've got. And I'm like, there is no way 
that anybody in the world has any more stuff than, than Hendrick Motorsports. Uh, so I went back to Jeff and um, I said, Jeff, if we can't win here, we can't win anywhere. I have no idea why they're not winning, but this guy, Rick Hendrick, is like he's given them incredible stuff to work with. Like they're, they, they have amazing stuff. There's no way that anybody should ever beat them. And then I met, I went and, uh, and met with Rick Hendrick and I said, you know, Mr. Hendrick, you know, definitely, uh, I would love to come here with Jeff and, but you know, I don't have enough experience to be a cup crew chief. I've never really been a crew chief. Um, so I think you should hire a crew chief and I'll build the cars and I'll, I'll, I'll be the setup guy and I'll be like the car chief. And he said, no, Jeff wants you to be the crew chief. I said, well, I, I, I really don't have enough experience to be a crew chief. I can't do it. He said, well, here, I'll help you. This is Randy Dorton. He'll help you. Here's Ken House. He'll help you. My people will help you. You'll learn to be a crew chief. I said, look, I, I, I don't really want to be the crew chief because I don't think I can do it. And Rick said, it's the only job I got. Take it or leave it, kid. He made me the crew chief. Yeah. So if I may repeat what you just said, Ray, last Tuesday night at the NCMA event in Charlotte, they were honoring Rick Hendrick or Hendrick Motorsports for 40 years in NASCAR racing. Well, one of the guests and major thresholds was Ray Everham sitting on the stage and listening to Mr. Hendrick tell that story exactly the way he just said it, except when it got down to take the job or leave it. This is all I got. (laughs) (laughs) I I was sitting about two tables back from the stage and I just laughed. I thought to myself, here the guy doesn't want the job. You know, as the crew chief, right. the owner's going, take it or leave it, man. That's yeah. all I got for you. So, so great, yeah, I, great you conversation know, there. The, the point there is, you know, one of Rick Hendrick's gifts, you know, something he's really strong at, he sees more in people than they sometimes see in themselves. He saw something in me that even I didn't see. And his confidence um, and support really had a big factor in Jeff and I's success because he believed in us and, and he, he, he brought out that, that confidence. And that, that's something, you know, when, when you look at, you know, he, here's a guy, right. Big D's got taken a big chance, taking, he's got a rookie driver. He's got this new sponsor going cup racing. And he takes a guy who's never really been a cup crew chief and puts him in charge. And, you know, I, I can, I would never be able to thank him enough for that. Yeah. Well, I, I think everybody knows your appreciation and, and, I think the opposite is they appreciate you, man. They did. The other night at that event, I, I, you know, I was the little mouse. I was walking around after it, listening to people talk, and <laughs> it, it was a cool event. But the world thinks a lot of you, Ray. Just <laughs> simply the world thinks a lot of you. So as that career there at Hendrick Motorsports goes, you guys become just incredibly dominant, you know, or, you know, you if you didn't win, you were expected to win or you run second or third. How did you keep that uh, momentum, all that enthusiasm, whatever you might call it? I don't know what you called it and, and your ethics. I just know everyone that I've talked to you that have, I have talked to has been on this show that has worked underneath you, that you groomed, I'll call it that way, has nothing but doing it the Ray Everham way. Yeah. And I said, what's, what's the Ray Everham way? And it's like, it's just a special way. What, what's that mean? Um, I, I think it, it means different things to different people. And, and over time, you know, when you have a big job to do and, and you're given that responsibility, you, you know, you, you have to you have to own up to that responsibility. Right. Like you have to make that your priority when you are the leader, you're responsible for. Uh, your driver, you're responsible for your sponsors, you're responsible to your owner. You know, when, when you're the leader, you've got to take that, that responsibility. And I felt like I always did a good job of taking my responsibility and also giving the team some input into how things were done. I always tell everybody, when you do something, you've got to tell people what we got to do, why we got to do it, and let them let them Tell, help tell you how to do it and I, I you know again I always felt like I that that from the professional coaching side of things we you know I, I learned a lot by reading about and, and studying coaches I've always been a big Vince Lombardi fan um, Pat Riley and I have, have been able to have a small friendship over the years his book the winner within was incredible in, in, in building our team and 
I, I'd always felt like I did my job and I put the team ahead of my personal life. I put the team sometimes ahead of my family, unfortunately. And that's, uh, and, and I think people respect that. And, you know, anyone will tell you, you know, what's that old saying? I heard somebody say it on the football game last night, you know, they, they won't care until they know how much you care. And, and I think everybody knew that, that the team was first, that, you know, winning, uh, and, and, you know, that motivation of, of letting people know if, if, if you're going to put in the effort, you know, you might as well put in above average effort because it's somebody's going to win this race today and it might as well be us. Right. <laughs> and we took that, you know, we, we took that as long as we could and, and, and hard as we could. And, and, you know, some people have done an amazing job. The, the two guys that are going in the hall of fame this week, uh, Chad Knauss and, and, uh, Jimmy Johnson. And certainly that's no slight to Donnie Allison at all. Bob, just thinks about those two guys, but when you look at what they did for the amount of time they were able to do it at the level and the intensity, to me, I find that amazing because we, you know, we, we built a great team and Jeff and I had a great run, but it, we let it unwind because of some of the same things that everybody, everybody warns you about, you know, whether that's other people getting involved or distractions or burnout or so, um, you know, again, as we talk about the book, you know, I talk about the whole building the, the, the number 24 team and, and then the things that that uh, that wound it down. But, you know, in the end, it might have just been time. You know, we Jeff and I and Rick, we have the, still the greatest relationship going. So, you know, I wouldn't trade any wins, championships or anything for that. I don't care if we stayed together and won 500 races but hated each other. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't trade. You know, right now. Jeff and Rick are, are still two of my closest friends. Well, it certainly seemed that way, looking from a distance. So going back to the race team, some of the great things you did, a lot of things that were known about. You, you created something that nobody had ever, that I know of, never was created. You created focus on pit stops. I mean, we had the Wood Brothers way back in the day, but you created a team called the Rainbow Warriors. How did that come about? Because that that wasn't going on at that time. Well, you know, there, it, it kind of was. You know, you you got to look at you know the Wood Brothers. Those guys were, are definitely the fathers of the fast pit stop. And then when you look at what the RCR guys did, you know, they were a team with the junkyard dogs and and all that stuff. And believe it or not, in the short period of time I was at Allen's, I saw what Allen was trying to do with training and whatnot, but they just couldn't pull it together properly. Uh, so I, I thought to myself when we started that team that I would start a separate team, right? So we, we made, we probably were the first ones who did that because there's no way that we could build cars and, and I could get guys to be experts on the cars and then focus on being experts on the pit stops. So we split the team and, and Andy Papa thought see you our, our Andy Papa. He became the, the pit crew coach and, and, drafted, you know, or, or found athletes. And, and we didn't pay these guys much at all back then. They were lucky to get basically anything but hats and shirts and doom, whatever. So the early Rainbow Warriors did not uh, certainly get a lot of money. But I just felt like there's no way in the world that I can have these guys working on cars 15, 16 hours a day and then focus on pit stops. And if we're doing a pit stop, you know, at that time, you could run guys back and forth over the wall. If you remember, Mike, you had seven guys, but it didn't have to be the seven guys as long as there was no more than seven guys. And I thought, well, if we had damage or we had to work on the car, we'd just bring the pit crew guys back and go back and forth over the wall. And, and you know, those guys, um, what they did from our, from our, our 1993 rookie season on up to the time, you know, that I left there in 99 is incredible. The, the, the amount of times they put us in position to win races and, uh, you know, they won the World Pit Crew Championship. And they, like, I could count on them. And they, they truly – honestly, truly were um, a team. They were that whole group of number 24 people, not just a pit crew. They were truly that a, a team that, that, that they unselfishly put the team goals ahead of the personal goals. And that's what made it magic. You, you a lot know, of these guys were, you know, had an athletic background. Where did you find them? How did the recruiting process for that go? Well, um, Andy uh, Papa was a Stanford University football player, so he understood the college recruiting system, and he knew that some of these guys were going to the pros and some of them weren't. So he started, you know, uh, 
contacting some of the college athletic programs and directors and saying, hey, we're going to have a little combine. We're going to do this. And then you'd be surprised. These guys showed up that were baseball players, football players, and we had hockey players, you know, people, you know, guys that had, had played even up Division One sports and just really didn't have a future, right? Where are they going to go? They're not going to go to pro. They didn't want to go to AAA, they, whatever. So they were interested all of a sudden. And what's this racing thing? Hey, you can go to Daytona 500. You can do here. You do this. And, uh, and so a lot of that came from Andy um, reaching out to the, a lot of the local colleges. Yeah. That's a, that's a cool concept, right? Yeah. And it seems like a no-brainer, but nobody had done it. Nobody was thinking about it. So I, I got to compliment what you, you had done there, Ray, and he doesn't realize this, but that helped me win my very first race driving for Ultra Motorsports in 1999 at Homestead. During the year, during the winter, we're, we're going along prepping trucks, and they're getting everything ready, and the truck's got a good background for being fast i got a guy by the name of tim kahooth who i'd work with to be the crew chief i worked with him over at schrader's and they're telling me how good we're going to be at homestead i says okay i said i'm going to steal a ray everham deal here i says i'm leading the race the caution comes out with 10 to go we're the first truck down pit road are we going to leave as the leader and win the race yeah and they says probably not <laughs> And I said, then we got to fix that, right? We got to do. We didn't have a separate crew or anything. I, he said, well, what do you suggest we do? I said, well, I guess we got to practice, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. You tell me. You're the crew chief, and, he, and they started practicing, practicing. We will go to Homestead, and Ray, you'll love this because it go falls right into your deal. Nine laps ago, leading the race, Ron Hornaday running second. The caution comes out. We come down pit road. I can't remember keying the mic. I go, we're gonna leave first. We're good. <laughs> and we we led we come off pit road first and we win the race. So that was our you. first race together. Right. So thanks, Ray. You you helped motivate us. Put another win. Wow. In, yeah. Put one in the win column, Ray. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great spot for a timeout. <laughs> We're talking to Ray Evernham. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media. Hi, it's Jeff Kent. You need to get behind the wheel of a vehicle that's built tough with Mark Ficken Ford Lincoln. Right now, you can get $500 off any new or used vehicle that we have in stock. That's right, $500 off any vehicle currently in stock. To take advantage of this deal, simply visit FordLincolnCharlotte.com slash Wallace. Don't miss out on this opportunity to save big on our entire inventory. Get $500 off new or used cars, trucks, and SUVs at Mark Ficken Ford Lincoln on South Boulevard now. Welcome back to the Speed Sport Podcast Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Mark Ficken Ford Lincoln on South Boulevard. The team at Mark Ficken Ford Lincoln works hard every day to be a community partner in supporting their customers, local businesses, as well as being involved in local charities and programs. Visit FordLincolnCharlotte.com today for your next vehicle selection, service appointments, or collision need. Once again, our guest is Ray Evernham, and here's Mike Wallace. Ray, we, we went through the Hendrick era, the Jeff Gordon era. That was the time that, I'm going to call it, made you a well-known household racing name. And then you shocked the race world. I say you shocked the race world. It may not have been a shock to anyone. But you decided to leave there and start your own race team. you got to take it from there. Well, you know, at that time, you know, we had – Jeff and I had won everything we could possibly win, some of it two or three times, and – you know, people are looking for, Jeff was growing into a different person, um, didn't need a, a lot of the same coaching. Everything was growing. And I had some great opportunities to continue with Rick Hendrick, but, uh, you know, Dodge uh, kept calling. They were going to come back. And, you know, finally, there was an opportunity there to see if, if I could really do something, you know, if I really could do it. it. It was a lot to do with the challenge. And again, you know, you have to go and read the book. To, you know, Jeff and I were up and down about where we're going and future wise. And, you know, there were a lot of confusing things, you know, there were people that got in the mix that we probably shouldn't have listened to and lots of different things, but it may, as I said, it might've just been time. So finally I decided to try the Dodge deal because they offered me a really good deal to have my own teams and to help develop the car. And, you know, I helped really develop a motor from, from scratch, a car from scratch, 10 race teams. And, and, you know, it, it, it was a challenge and it was a challenge to myself. And it was a great, great experience. I, I was able to, to to become even closer friends with Bill Elliott and bring him back to Victory Lane after seven years. We were able to win the Brickyard. I think we won 15 or 16 
cup races, another five or, or, or so uh, Xfinity races, uh, you know, and, and, and polls. And we, we did, we did a lot and it was, you know, the, the Dodge dealers were amazing people to work with. And the Dodge, it was a, it was Mike, it was a fantastic learning experience, but deep down inside, I wasn't feeling fulfilled. It just wasn't, I just, I, I just wasn't happy. And, uh, I decided that I needed a business partner because I wanted to build cars. I, that that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to get back to the engineering, to the cars, and we brought in a business partner and, and uh, it was, you know, a, a kind of a private equity group and, you know, ups and downs and all around and you know, we could say whatever, but it didn't work out. You know, it just didn't, it didn't, it didn't, the partnership didn't work out. And uh, so I, I got out of it uh, and, and, you know, looked into other things. I, I moved on to my TV career, which I love. I got, I had so much fun doing television you can you know i did it with your brother you know me and rusty we we're me and rusty who 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 damn near fist fought a couple times when we were racing <laughs> together ended up being best buddies now you know what i mean and that was all because of tv you know rusty's one of my best friends and and it, it and i enjoyed it i really really enjoyed it and loved it you know and, and you know when the espn thing ended well we, we all kind of did something different but i i can tell you that I don't look back on any of that stuff as, as a bad experience because all of it taught me something and it taught me something about myself. And, and, uh, as I said, you know, being an owner, it was a great experience. It was cool as, is, is all get out, but it wasn't me. You know, I'm not a, uh, I'm not the guy that can keep the, the politics of things going. Like I'm, I always tell everybody, I'm, I'm not a general, like I'm, I'm, I'm a good captain. You know what I mean? Put me on the ground with a little special forces group and I get a job done and then I get on to the next thing. But, you know, I, I I'm so fortunate to have some, have had so many loyal people, so many loyal sponsors, drivers. We had, we didn't win a championship, but we had a pretty damn successful run. When you think about what we did with a short time with Dodge and, and the accomplishments that we made, I'm, I'm proud of that, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm really proud that, um, that Mr. Penske was able to take them on and get them a championship, but, uh, wouldn't trade it for the world, but it, it was just time to move something on, do something different. And you, and you're doing something different. So after you get out of the Dodge deal, you do the television deal. You do great at that. As you mentioned, you and Rusty become good buddies, even big competitors beforehand. But so after television, what's Ray Everham do? Where, 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 what do you, what did you do? And what are you doing? Well, I, I love my, my vintage cars. I love the history of the sport. Um, as I said, we took some time to write that book. You know, writing a book, you know, it, it used up a good bit of a uh, good bit of time. Okay, take, you know, the, take this minute because we're going to do it at the end of the show also. But tell us, tell us about the book right there since uh, well, the name of it, when it's coming called, out. It's called Trophies and Scars. Um, it, it's just really, you know, Ray Evernham, and it says Trophies and Scars. But it's about, it's about the early days of growing up at the Jersey Shore right on uh, through, you know, it, it's kind of, what I like about the book is, is, you know, when I did the Pikes Peak thing, that was, a, that was a real experience for me for a lot of reasons, because that was, that was like taking my whole career and betting um, on whether I was worth a damn or not. And when we, it, so it starts with me being on starting line at Pikes Peak, and then it tells the story, and then it kind of finishes with the, the Pikes Peak uh, event. But it really, everything I'd learned in between, you know, being a, getting a class win as a rookie at Pikes Peak with a car that we built against some of those huge car companies, big moment for me. And, and that was kind of a, just justified everything that I'd learned throughout the years and that I could drive a race car. Um, and, and so it, it, it was, it, it really wrapped, it, it wraps the beginning of my career to the end of my career. And then there's a bonus chapter in there. What back when Jeff and I went and uh, ran that, that deal at Indy with the Porsche first time we'd worked together in a long time, but mm -hmm. it, you know, it's, um, you know, it, it the the book explains that not everything is going to be perfect, but you're going to learn something from it, and and you know, there's mostly everything you can fix, and some things some things you can't. But I was brutally honest uh, about um, about things, you know, the, the issues, including uh, you know when it left the Hendrick or my divorce, um, things like that. Uh, I, I had great support from there. I have three introductions, you know, in in the book. Jeff Gordon wrote one, Rick Hendrick wrote one, and Roger Penske wrote one. And those three people have been incredibly important in my life. Um, Mario Andretti endorsed it. John Elway, my good buddy, you know, John John Elway. So we got a sports sports guy in there, but Chase and Bill Elliott and uh, 
as I said, it's not really about bragging on my uh, career. It's it's really just a, we tried to tie in that every chapter there's a lesson, whether it's a life lesson or a business lesson or a sports lesson, we tried to tie in a lesson and, uh, you know, just um, letting people know that, look, it's been a great life. Wouldn't trade it for the world, but there, there is, you know, there, there, there is, you know, I've got trophies to look at to, to know that, uh, that I did right. And then I've got some scars to look at to know when I did wrong. Yeah. So when you go to write a book like that, if you don't mind me asking, how do you write a book? Do you sit down and do it well, or do you get somebody that comes in and helps you and you give them information? How's that, how's something like that encompass? Well, I think you can do it kind of any way you want, right? But with the way we did it is we hired a, a writer. His name's Joe Garner. He's the same person who did Jeff's book. And I spent hours and hours and hours on the phone with Joe. And then I read every single chapter and edit it and then my my vice president here debt column who is like my right hand guy he spent hours and hours and hours working on fact checking and editing and there's again there's still a couple mistakes in the book but but you know overall mike it it, it was much more time commitment than i ever thought it was going to be to make a good book i got you well we're looking for that when it comes out when do you say it's going to come out It'll come out in early March. Um, we're going to make uh, some announcements at Amelia Island. Um, so at the end of February, beginning of March, it, it'll be uh, it'll be out and available. Well, Will good. you be doing book signings in the Charlotte area? Uh... Yeah, absolutely. We don't have that exact schedule yet, but but we're going to you know we're we're going to try and 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 hit all the proper places and do all the and do all the right things to to make sure that we, you know, we're there for signing for the people that want to buy this book. Well, I think you're, what, you're going to become a New York Times bestseller, right? I mean, all you got to do is sell a lot of copies. Most likely, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I don't. I don't. That, again, you know, it was just one of those things. I largely did that book for my kids and my family, so and friends that when I think when you read the book, you can understand more about why I am the way I am in certain instances and who I am, and that was what I think that that's. For this 50-year career, it's 50 years next year, Mike, I'll be racing. And Unbelievable. You, and I just I wanted my kids and, and my family to understand. I'll host the party if you want, buddy. As long as it has the Rick Hendricks seal of approval, yeah. you're good to go because apparently he knows you better than you do. Yeah. <laughs> he knows his Rick, values, uh, didn't he? I mean, uh, yeah. that, that was Well, cool. you know, I mean, he's, he's actually going to be honored uh, uh, at the Amelia Island Concord this year, and I'm super, super ha happy to see him being recognized for, for his, you know, his contributions to the automotive industry. So that's a pretty big deal, and we're looking forward to being part of that, too. Well, in the final few minutes we got, Ray, we have to come up to current day. Uh, I'm, I'm going to bring it up, and I'm going to just ask you what else you're doing. But all, two weeks ago or a week and a half ago, it was announced that you have acquired the rights to the IROC series. The brand. Uh, you and Rob Kaufman have uh, stepped up. What, what is uh, – can it be announced? Is there a plan for that, or are you just – own the name at the moment well right now you know again rob and i both being you know vintage race drivers and and uh fans of the sport we wanted to see if the, you know the, the iraq brand had been bouncing around for a while and it's a great great brand and right now our focus is going to be on putting on a uh iraq reunion vintage event if you will uh targeted towards fall gathering up all of the vintage IROC cars that are out there, the IROC Camaro clubs and the people, the IROC drivers. And, and uh, we're, we're talking to uh, a couple of different venues right now uh, to place this, but we're going to put IROC cars on track. We're going to be doing a lot of the vintage IROC merchandise, and then we're going to reassess and see where we're at on how much excitement's about this on, on exactly where we go or, or how far we go with it. Uh, um, I, 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 when you, the, there's a lot of people excited about what we've done. So um, right now, stage one, gather up all of the, the vintage IROC cars, get uh, get an IROC reunion in, in place uh, in the fall area sometime and just kick it off again. So when you say gather them all up, you're going to reach out and make it very well known. You're looking for anybody that owns an old IROC car or a collector or a driver, anybody that's got one of those cars to come out and be part of this event. Absolutely. And, and as well as the people that have got the five, you know, so they built, we, Chevrolet built an IROC Z Camaro from 85 to 90. You know, we want to get all, invite all those people, um, the people that have had, you know, the, from the Dodge Daytonas to the, 
you know, uh, the Firebirds, uh, you, you know, everything, and uh, and then just really have an IROC reunion for for people who have IROC race cars, uh, the the drivers that have drove in the series, fans of the IROC series, and and uh, just have an IROC reunion to kick it off. Well, I'll tell you what, when you, you announce that, I'm I'm going to go to it. Oh, yeah, well, it sounds cool. We'll go. Yeah, I, it sounds extremely At cool. least, hey, Ray, do me a favor. Mark a little thing on your desk and call or send me an invite because then I'll feel really special. <laughs> but I'm going to come regardless if i got to buy the ticket or not. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Well, uh, I might – I won't – you won't – I won't have to – Tell you a ticket if you agree to sign autographs. <laughs> I'll do anything you want me to do to be part of it. I, that's it's an amazing thing. I enjoy that. What else you got going on? You got two minutes to tell us what's what else is up to speed with Ray Abraham. Oh well, just trying to spend some time with uh, with, with family. Like everybody else, I've got uh, you know Ray J is doing um, great, but I've got an eight year old daughter now who who is um, doing a lot of uh, of horse uh, uh, equestrian stuff. So spending some time with her but you know really mike one of the things that i do try and do now is is have that balance of i had i had a fantastic career and accomplishments and all these things but that balance of family time um versus versus ray time um i'm a lot more aware of and uh, again just spending time with the people that i enjoy doing the things that i that i that i love outstanding you've had a fabulous career you're a great guy look nothing but the best to you in the future Absolutely. Yeah, what do you think, well, Joe? Thank you, guys. Well, thank you for being on. Thanks for taking the time. And uh, it's, a, it's a great story. There goes Ray Abernham. And you've been listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital News.